Hi, this is Nathan. Before we get to the episode, I want to invite you to join me on an incredible adventure this November of 2024. I am taking a small group of believers to Turkey, what the New Testament called Asia Minor, for a 12-day Bible study tour of the early church. We'll be studying the book of Acts and many of the epistles on location as we visit ancient cities like Ephesus, Laodicea, Heropolis, Antioch, Pergamum, and many more. If you are interested in joining me this November for a once-in-a-lifetime adventure as we study where much of the New Testament and early church took place, you can learn more by going to deeperchristian.com forward slash turkey. And if you're interested, don't delay. Spots are limited and on a first-come, first-served basis, and a $100 discount is available if you register before May 27th. I do hope you can join me. And again, more information is available at deeperchristian.com forward slash turkey. Now, here's the episode. Welcome to episode 143 of the Deeper Christian Podcast. This is the podcast to help you study God's word, know Jesus intimately, and discover how you can build your life around Jesus Christ. I'm Nathan Johnson, and in today's episode... I want you to evaluate if the God that you worship is historical or living. Let's dive in. Recently, I've been freshly meditating on this idea that the God that we love and we worship is a living God. See, we don't just believe that, you know, he's some mythical thing out there or he's some idol that we have to come and or some graven image we have to come and bow down before. Our God is the living God. He's the creator of the universe, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And yet, as I've been pondering this idea, I've been struck afresh by this thought that as I look at the modern church, it seems like more often than not, our participation or our engagement with God is much more in the sense of, well, it's a ritual or an obligation rather than it's being birthed out of this idea of, a pursuit of intimacy and relationship and oneness. See, as I look at the landscape of the modern church, it just seems to me that more often than not, people are just checking in down at the church house or, you know, they're tipping their hat to God once a week, or maybe if they're really spiritual, maybe they go to the prayer meeting as well. But you recognize that the whole flow of scripture is not that I have to go through some obligatory ritual to appease God. Rather, he is interested in relationship and intimacy, and oneness, and engaging with me in my life. In fact, he wants to fill my life with his very spirit and then pour himself out in and through my life to the world around me. And yet, as I look at the modern church today, it just seems like more often than not, we are so satisfied with the little bit that we have of just showing up to a church on Sunday. And, you know, it's almost like the country club idea. I I show up and I check off that, hey, I was here and I've done my good deed for the week and and I'll just go about and live my life. Well, as I was just pondering this idea and just ruminating over this idea of what what does it mean for my life to worship the living God, it reminded me of looking back at the Old Testament and recognizing that it seems like so often the, the Israelites got wrapped up in this tension of, well, I worship God because, well, he's the historical God who has done these things in the past rather than realize that he is the living God who is actively involved in the everyday moments of right now. Let me give you an example. 
when you look at the stories of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the, these patriarchs in the book of Genesis, it's amazing that when you look at God's interaction with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, God was just passionately intimate. In fact, it said that God and Abraham were friends. And you recognize that God would talk to Abraham or he would talk to Isaac or Jacob as if he really is in the room. In fact, there's several times where it, it seems like God shows up in physical form. And, you know, Abraham's here hosting these two angels and God himself and the two angels go and deal with Sodom. But God remains and carries on the conversation with Abraham that he wasn't just some you know, this great thought in the back of my mind, or it wasn't like, well, let's just go down to the, the temple and worship kind of an idea. God was a living God in interacting and giving direction to Abraham's life. And that wasn't just true for Abraham, but Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob all experienced this phenomenal reality. But it's interesting as the Israelites went into Egypt for the 400 years and became slaves, you recognize that it seems like that they believe that God was there and, and hey, we, we'd pray to God because, well, hey, we're we're facing these these trials and this these difficulties and slavery and, and it's just miserable. So, hey, let's let's talk to God about it. But it seems like what began to take place is that God just became this historical figure that we just need to appease because, well, that's just we're Israelites. Therefore, hey, we, we need to tip our hat to him rather than recognize that even though it seems like he may have been silent for 400 years, God is smack dab in the middle of this circumstance that we have here in Egypt. And it wasn't until Moses engages God at the burning bush that it seems like there was a freshness to this reality that God says, hello, I am here. I am the living God. And I have not left you and I have not abandoned you. In fact, I'm going to bring my people out of Egypt. And Moses makes an interesting statement. He says, God, I'm all right, I'll, I'll go to Egypt, but but the people are going to ask me, well, what is God's name? And see, even that just bespeaks of this idea that, well, we're not so sure about it. Hey, we're not, hey, we're not so sure if the God that you're talking to really is the is the one that we've been thinking about historically. See, isn't it interesting that the moment I get into the duty and the obligation and and just the rituals of religion, how quickly God moves from the living God who is actively involved in my everyday life to this historical character that sure I believe in, but becomes something, well, someone from the past. And as you walk through the story of the Old Testament, it just seems like this happens over and over and over again. During the time of Judges, the people start crying out to God. Why? Because, well, I, I think you helped us in the past and we're having problems and could, could you bring a deliverer in? And oh no, here we are in Babylonian captivity. And oh no, there's the 400 years of silence. See, isn't it interesting that that the moment that we remove our focus, that, that the moment we draw away from this pursuit of intimacy and relationship and engagement with the living God, it's like he just becomes this historical character that I go, well, yeah, I, I believe in George Washington and I believe he was our first president and I believe he did some great things. Woo, yay, George Washington. That's very different than having a relationship with George Washington. Now, <laughs> I get it. It's a bad illustration since he's dead. But it seems like that's what we do with God, that we just go to church on Sundays and we just go through the motions and we stand up and we don't want to sit down and we know the right words to say. And, and, and hey, we know the songs and all right, we'll sing the songs and we'll listen to the sermon and, and, and we'll go through the activities. But it's just duty. It's just obligation. It's just ritual 
rather than coming from a position of passion and relationship and intimacy with the living God. See, I've become convinced that just merely having religion doesn't mean I have life. In fact, there's a lot of religious people out there, but their lives are dead. Even the ones in the church, that they that they have all the right language, and yet it's like they don't actually have the substance. It's like a, I could look at a picture of my really cute nine-year-old niece, and I can go, wow, Paisley is just absolutely adorable, and, and she's just, I just love her to death. But it's very different looking at a picture of my nine-year-old niece and actually like having playtime with my nine-year-old niece. And we get on the floor and we're just crawling around and we're being goofy and we're laughing. And see, it's very different knowing about my niece and actually having a relationship with my niece. And you realize that God wants relationship with us, that he, he's not just, he doesn't want us to have mere theory about him or just mere intellectualism about him. I've given this illustration several times, but I went off to seminary and and it was actually a really good seminary. And I made some great friends and there were some people who just passionately loved Jesus. But it was interesting to me when I showed up to seminary, I met all these people who knew so much about God, who who had all the theological terms and they knew the stories and they they could debate you up and down. And yet when you looked at their lives, it's just like their lives seemed, well, kind of dead. That they knew a lot about God but they didn't have a relationship with God. See, there's a difference between knowing about something and actually knowing that something, or in this case, knowing about Jesus and actually knowing Jesus. So let me ask you, as we've entered into this new year, as you look at your spiritual life, would you honestly have to say, wow, I am just wrapped up in relationship and intimacy and oneness with the living God? Or would you honestly have to confess, well, I mean, I, I, I know the stories and I go through the rituals and I, hey, I show up to church on Sundays, but it's just duty. It's just obligation. It's just a have to. It's, it's the expectations that my family or, or the people I'm surrounded by have put upon me that, yeah, I believe that God's there, but it's almost like he's become George Washington in my life. Can I encourage you that if that is, if that's taken place to throw that off and to repent of that and to find yourself at the foot of the cross and begin to recognize that God is living and he wants to have a living relationship with you. Well, with that, I want to give you three ideas that if you want to foster and cultivate this greater reality of intimacy and relationship with the living God, here are just three simple ideas for you to consider in in terms of incorporating into your life so that God just doesn't have this historical position in your life. He has a living position in your life. So number one, Can I encourage you to get to know this living God? I mean, get into the word. The word of God, scripture, is the revelation of himself. That God has opened up himself and said, let me tell you all about who I am. And has revealed his character and his nature and his, his actions all throughout history. So get to know him. And the more you get to know him through His the revelation of the word, it's amazing how he becomes alive. That scripture isn't just some textbook that we're just to obey. And it's not just some moral guide of good stories. The word of God is the revelation. It's the unfolding. It's the annunciation of the living God himself. So if you want to get to know who our God is, you have to be in the word. 
And again, the reason we get into the word is not just so that we can have some information. The reason we get into the word is so that we can know the author of that word. Again, it comes back to this idea of relationship and intimacy. And not just get into the word, but but just look throughout history. I love reading Christian biography. And the reason I love reading Christian biography is as I'm as I'm reading through these stories of these great men and women throughout the ages, it reminds me of God's faithfulness and his character and the fact that he is a living God, that he hasn't just given us this thing called salvation and said, all right, now go do something for me, that he's actively involved in the little tiny moments of every single day of our life. And another piece of that is you need to be spending time with him in prayer, that if he is in fact the living God, well, begin to talk to him, that if he lives inside of your life, through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, as scripture says, and he is alive, which is true, well, then talk to him and listen and allow his spirit to be pressing your life. And one of the just really neat ways to get to know this living God is to actually spend time with him. So obviously foremost, he's revealing himself through the word, but spend time in his presence and begin to talk to him and involve him in the everyday moments of your life. So if things are going great, well, give him praise. If things are not going well, well, talk to him about it. Jesus, this thing is not going very good. Oh, Lord, I got a flat tire. What am I going to do? And see, bring him into the everyday moments of your life. And you'll notice that your life begins to start shifting because you're building it, building it around the living God himself. A second idea is don't just go through the disciplines and the duties for the sake of doing them. I have a good friend of mine and he often says that, The disciplines are wonderful, but they are there to help sustain life. They don't produce life. Now, I love the Christian disciplines, things like reading and studying scripture and prayer and fasting and journaling and solitude and community and worship. See, all these are just different aspects of these discipline ideas. And there's some great books on the disciplines if you want to study this out more. But we have to remember that just merely doing these disciplines doesn't actually do much for our life. See, the disciplines are there to press us under the reality of Jesus Christ. It's to help us get to know him. And as my good friend says, the disciplines themselves don't produce life, but they do help sustain life. So as an illustration, think of like an apple. If I eat an apple, it's not that it produces life. As, as if I could take an apple, go to some dead person, put the apple in the mouth, kind of chew their, you know, move their mouth up and down. And suddenly, whoo, they, 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 they come to, back to life. Well, that, that's not true. So an apple doesn't create life, but an apple does sustain life. That, hey, if I want to live healthy and I want my life to continue, well, then I need to put good food in my body. Why? Because it helps sustain the very life that I have. And the same thing's true about the disciplines. It's not that the disciplines are bad. They're actually wonderful. But them in and of themselves don't create life, but they do help sustain your spiritual life. So if you want your spiritual life to grow and mature and to deepen, and you want to have a greater relationship with the living God, well, can I encourage you to do the disciplines, but not for the sake of duty, not because you're obligated to do them, but for the sense of delight as you get to know the living God. And another idea, lastly, is begin to live as if God is in fact alive. See, we can know a lot of good information But unless we're actually putting that into practice and living as if that is real, well, it's never actually going to change our life or our perspective. 
See, knowing about God's character or his ability to rescue is very different than obeying and applying that into our life in the midst of a temptation. See, I, I can know that he has conquered sin and I can know that he's brought salvation and I know that no temptation has seized me but that which is common to man, but he's created a way out. Now, I can know all that in theory, but that is very different than actually applying that when I'm facing a temptation. So what if I would begin to live as if God is in fact real? That he's not just some being out there in the universe watching down, ready to stomp on me, but rather he lives inside of me through his indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And if he is a living God, maybe my life should reflect that. That not I don't just know that he's a God of provision, but rather I trust and depend upon him in faith when I'm at the end of my rope. That when I'm facing a trial or a circumstance or a difficulty or some sort of a hardship or some temptation, that I actually turn to him and say, God, you, you are the one who can rescue. You are the only one who can get me out of this. So Lord, in faith, I'm going to trust and depend upon you. See, what if you would begin to live as if God is in fact alive and you begin to talk to him and involve him in the everyday moments of your life? Now, I'm sure there are others, but those are just three ideas to help you get going. Again, get to know this living God who lives inside of your life if you're a Christian. Number two, don't just go through the disciplines and the duties for the sake of doing them, but allow them, yeah, you do them, but do them for the delight of getting to know the person of Jesus Christ. Do them out of the delight, not out of duty. And lastly, begin to live as if God is in fact alive because he is. Well, I hope that was just a fresh reminder in this new year that, hey, we are to pursue Jesus Christ, the living God, the one who rose from the dead. And he's not just some historical character that we that we kind of smile and greet to on Sundays, but he wants to be involved in the everyday moments of our everyday lives. Well, thanks for listening to this episode of the Deeper Christian Podcast. For show notes of this episode, including a list of those three suggestions, please visit deeperchristian.com forward slash 143 for episode 143. And until next time, know I am cheering you on as you build your life around Jesus Christ.